Hi everyone, my name is Miguel Magalhães and welcome to another episode of The Night TV, a videocast about all things Web3 in Portugal and around the world. Today I have my first international guest, uh, it's, a, it's a first, which is good. Uh, his name is Andres Nicolas and he's responsible for the ecosystem growth in Access Protocol, which is a new platform in Web3 that's trying to reinvent content monetization. Andres, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Miguel. Good to be here. Yeah, it's really nice. We have met before and we have talked a few times and it's really nice to to talk to you again. I, I kind of uh, sent like a cold email to you when I first learned about Texas Protocol because I was really interested. And it's cool after a few months to, to be with you again. And the, the platform is launching in, in some weeks, right? So I didn't beta version, but the full, the, the real launch, it will be in, in some weeks, right? So... It's yeah, really we've, nice. we've actually launched already. So already, uh, just building some perfect. Yeah, yeah. The protocol is live, but uh, always launching new products and services. So yeah. uh, we'll dive but, into that later on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But firstly, like as I told, as I, I told, um, you guys kind of uh, you already had experience in in the media and in the content industry. Um, what were kind of the issues that, um, in terms of monetization, either for creators or for publishers that are trying to uh, have a business model based on the content that they produced. What are kind of the issues that you were seeing uh, in Web 2 that you thought maybe this in Web 3 could have a better solution? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the biggest issue on media monetization, and especially for publishers, is that it's really difficult to directly monetize your audience. Um, so for direct monetization, we're talking subscriptions, one-time payments uh, coming directly from consumers. Uh, so we did a bit of research and have some background in kind of media and publications and found that the leading businesses and publications in the industry are only directly monetizing roughly a half to 1% of their audience. Uh, so when we really saw those numbers, we thought, how are the other 99.9% of publications and media businesses actually directly monetizing and forming meaningful relationships uh, with their audience? And we can dive into the distinction of directly and indirect monetization, um, which comes in the form of advertising and uh, kind of what that means for users. And uh, ultimately, in a world where we see cookies going away, uh, that really is something that is a, a problem for a lot of these publications. And they're really leaning on indirect monetization right now, but that has its downfalls ultimately. So uh, that's where we wanted to kind of create a solution that allows businesses to create meaningful relationships while also uh, directly monetizing their users, but also creating new incentive structures. And there's also the issue of social media, right? Because for a, for a long time, whenever like a brand and an advertiser wanted to kind of communicate a new service, a new, a new product, they, they had these publishers and these publications that kind of created that connection that a certain advertiser wanted to have with a consumer. Then you were kind of, I, I won't say replaced, but kind of the traffic that these publications could have kind of relied a lot on uh, Facebook or on Google. And that revenue model kind of, uh, I'm not going to say went away because these companies kind of found a way to kind of generate still some revenues from, from ads, either through the form of branded content or these special product projects that they still, still do with brands. But that stopped being kind of the main revenue model. And as you said, they went to subscriptions. And right now, 
this is kind of like the social media is also facing uh, some troubles or some challenges with how they can help these these media brands and these publications to kind of generate traffic and this is now like creating a new problem to solve either on the sides of the publications but also on the side of those platforms that kind of became relevant and now are facing some issues in terms of the traffic that can they, that they can provide to to these publishers right yeah, it's an interesting point. It, it's like, how as a business, do you also make sure that the views that you're getting on social media turn into meaningful direct uh, revenue on site? And with social media, obviously, uh, attention and viewership all moved into off platform uh, on Twitter, Facebook, wherever someone's publishing. Um, so at first the reach was fantastic for these businesses but ultimately getting them into the, your top of funnel becoming daily readers uh, and ultimately subscribers became a massive challenge so um, in the short term definitely a very beneficial thing for reach but uh, ultimately it becomes a revenue problem and a monetization problem for a lot of these businesses so how can you monetize people in platforms that you may not necessarily directly own and in, on the side of consumers what were kind of the challenges because uh, of course, right now you have more options than you ever had before. You have more publishers, more content creators, more everything. And uh, since you don't have money for or income for everything, you now have thousands of options, but you don't have the money to kind of subscribe or kind of invest in everything that you would like to read. So in, in the side of the consumers, what were kind of the challenges that the current state of content creation or the the content that you want to, cons to consume have that that you were that you were seeing as well yeah so directly to your point um it's almost paralysis by analysis on the consumer side there's just so many options and only so little amount of money that a one specific user can spend to allocate to creators uh and ultimately like an individual um, consumer only has the ability to basically purchase 10 or so subscriptions maximum. Um, and even if you have the propensity to buy more, you just receive and get to subscription exhaustion. So even if you hit a paywall, and I'm sure many of your listeners have experienced this, you might have the ability to purchase that subscription. They might be on discount for $2, but for some reason, you just don't. Uh, and you might hit that paywall 10 times a week, but there's just uh, a... Uh, mental struggle for users to convert. And ultimately, we think that that comes down to one incentive structure. So why should you convert? Uh, and then two value propositions. What is the value that you're getting out of it? And I think the biggest thing is commitments, is user flexibility. Do you want to uh, basically sign up to a commitment for one year or month on month, knowing that you might have to jump through some hurdles to uh, get out of that subscription. And ultimately, the incentive structure, value propositions, uh, and flexibility are where we see the biggest pain points uh, for consumers. So looking to kind of figure out ways to enable and put more value in the hands of users. And ultimately, what that does is makes creators more competitive and uh, kind of drives them to create more compelling uh, services and offerings. In, in the research that, that you guys were making, would, would you see also different patterns, different patterns when you went from uh, different for, uh, content formats? For example, like when you're analyzing the subscription model, is it easier for 
a subscription model to function within like a video content format than text, for example, or kind of the response was, was the same if you're comparing like a, a Netflix and a Bloomberg in terms of subscription? Yeah, uh, definitely video has the best conversion rates, uh, but they also do have some of uh, the biggest flaws in terms of penetration as well. I think like the most famous case is Netflix, where it's perce perceived that roughly 40% of their users are actually shared accounts. Uh, so they could massively increase their subscriber base by getting rid of the shared email problem. They're slowly starting to do that, where they're tagging IP addresses and flagging to users saying, hey, we notice you have a user that isn't really around. You're in Boston and this person is in Portugal, for example. So we're going to start charging you more money. Is that OK? Or we're going to turn this person off. Um, so by far, streaming has the best penetration rate. Um, but they have their inherent problems as well as how do you get convert these users that are unwilling to pay and are basically, uh, in a way, freeloading off of other users that are paying. Um, so it's a unique and difficult problem to have. And once you do penetrate enough of the market, how much more room do you have to grow? So they've really now got to look internally and figure out a way that they can expand and create conversions from users that they don't have relationships with, meaning they don't have an email to contact that person uh, in Boston that is using a Portuguese Netflix subscribers member uh, membership. So uh, it's an interesting problem for them. Um, and hopefully there are some solutions that can help them solve that. They, they are trying to test some things now. I don't know if it will work or not, but <laughs> but we'll see in the, in, the, in the coming months. And um, I know that the how Web3 came into equation, you already you previously, previously worked at the block, so Web3 was not nothing or something new to you. How, when you guys starting to do the research, and of course you already have a lot of the background on the technologies and some of, of the platforms that were in Web3, how were you thinking that... Um, blockchain and all the things that are associated with this industry could provide a solution for some of the problems that uh, publishers and content creators were facing in Web2? Yeah, it's really interesting. So one of our more interesting direct learnings, I wouldn't even say this is experience or um, this isn't research, it's more just direct experience, uh, is we had a product offering that was a research product, but um, and more focused for an institutional investor. But ultimately, the way that you onboarded it into it was no different than any other business to consumer uh, subscription. You, you pay a premium via Stripe and credit card. Um, so what we found was that we may get conversions from a high profile client, say a large investment bank, but we would only get one of them and we wouldn't get multiple users. So immediately then you take a look in and you, you dive into the data and you see and realize that one person is spending, you know, maybe $1,000, $2,000 for a subscription, and it's servicing in a whole entire department. Um, and it's not just one company that's guilty of that. Many companies do that with their subscriptions, whether it be a B2B subscription that you pay with credit card or a B2C subscription, Financial Times, Wall Street Journal, whatever have you. Um, so the first thing we learned and realized is we have to get uh, user access under control and create a format where you can't just sign up, uh, but you need to flow through an actual human being to prevent them from uh, basically creating a profile that they can share with everyone. Uh, so one of our unique learnings was we essentially converted this B2C subscription into a B2B subscription. Uh, and we were able to massively increase the price, uh, massively uh, increase conversion rates, 
And it was the same exact service offering. And obviously we built on that service offering, but it's interesting how the onboarding experience uh, with just a slight adjustment changes the outcome of your revenue. And that was the first thing that we learned. And uh, essentially blockchain uh, and wallets themselves inherently prevent users from sharing their uh, addresses or their accounts because no one is likely to share their private keys if they have sensitive information, uh, an important amount of money in there, um, or they just want to kind of, it, it's essentially sharing your bank account details and information. So you'd never do that with anyone. And that's a, a pretty important element of why we thought Web3 would be a good solution uh, at the kind of start of this. Yeah, because the, the, from what I've seen in most of the media companies, especially the ones that operate within the Web3 context, meaning that most of the content that they produce, it's around companies or projects that are somehow associated with Web3, is that uh, despite producing content about those topics, there wasn't still necessarily a model where you could directly apply what you were writing about to your business model as a media company, because in the end, for example, when you when you look at the blog or when you, when you look at Blockworks or even Decrypt, they're a kind of like showcasing these projects, but in, within themselves, they are still kind of chasing the same model of, okay, we have a platform, but we still need like ads to make some money or whenever we do subscriptions, we still go through the normal, uh, normal media company way of trying to kind of monetize your subscribers. And so when I talked to you the first time, it was really kind of, okay, this is a different model from the one I was seeing. I was, I, I, I've seen something before that was like, a, it wasn't necessarily a monetization, but it was like creating a DAO to kind of um, allow your users to select some of the topics that you could uh, investigate or write about. And this was kind of a technology, but in terms of monetization, there wasn't uh, one like that. And so jumping already yeah. into, into access, how did you make the move from being within that division with the block and deciding, okay, this is like, uh, we, I think we have something here. Let's kind of try to build a platform that kind of integrates some of the findings that we had uh, with this um, project and, yeah. and with this learning that we have. I think the first one was seeing and realizing, and you mentioned a bunch of great companies in the space that do awesome work, but still monetize in web two. And there's a reason for that is we realized there wasn't a solution. And all of these companies or many of them do accept crypto payments in one way or another, whether they're accepting USDC or ETH or originally Bitcoin back in the earlier days. And you think that that's a great way to monetize an audience that likely has more buying power in those native uh, currencies. But what you find out is that those payments roughly just kind of fielding all of our partners have an 80% churn rate. Uh, so when people tell us, hey, we're looking at enabling crypto payments or we're looking to enable Stripe, what should we do? I always tell people, go right to Stripe because you're able to at least hit recurring revenue on those credit card charges. Uh, you can't automatically pull or siphon money out of somebody's wallet when the year or the month expires. So ultimately, what you have to do is get your employees to start pinging every single member that has done a crypto payment three months ahead of time and try to get them to pay in advance. And it sounds easy, but it's not. And uh, it isn't an efficient way. So we really realized that uh, monetization was incredibly broken. And we'd seen other applications with NFTs, which uh, we think are great in many ways, but are difficult to monetize on mass scale. 
Um, and at the end of the day, uh, many of the NFTs, even if they were, say, an unlimited mint, they're still crypto payments. And unless you want to give a user lifetime access, you are going to have difficulty in uh, essentially getting that recurring revenue and being able to model out what your long-term revenue is, what an actual churn rate is for your subscription, and what the lifetime value is of a user. Guys, the conversation will continue soon, but firstly, a message from our sponsor, Stage. Hey guys, so I'm the CEO and co-founder of Stage. So I've been managing money pretty much since very young. Started with sports betting and now moved into crypto a couple of years ago. Um, and what I realized was that trading wasn't that fulfilling in terms of mission and impact in the world. And so I decided to co-found a company, uh, a music company, where we actually bring the concept of trading and investing in a way because we allow any person to just vote for their favorite artists in a social media platform. But these artists are upcoming artists, which means you're actually voting, but also investing in these artists early on. So this is like a The Voice, X Factor, American Idol type of show where you vote in the context of a competition, engaging competitions. But when you vote, you get an NFT, you get a digital card for voting, which means later you can actually sell it and make money out of it. At the same time, when you vote, you vote with money. So the artist actually gets money. So you are funding the artist at the same time you're investing in him and so that's really kind of the the groundbreaking concept that i hope will be live in a couple of months and then people can just use the social media platform to invest in artists early on and at the same time we're helping the artists in, with their career so that's really our mission so let's let's move into access protocol and how is it different from this what were you guys like uh, how do you structure it what were kind of you're still in the beginning of your roadmap, but in terms of the first th things that you wanted to target, what was kind of your mindset when you started developing the platform? Yeah, so we just kind of thought about what are the key kind of things that a media or publication um, company are looking at when evaluating any service that they are going to introduce. And there's kind of two main things that they're looking at. It's average revenue per user, and its lifetime value. And essentially we thought around ways that we can create a protocol that would enable these creators to one, directly uh, delineate and distinguish the average revenue per user that they're getting, um, but also one that reinforces their ability to increase user lifetime value. Um, so how do we reduce the churn rate of these users and make them stay for years on end as a subscriber? Um, so when we took a look at lifetime value, that comes into the element that I meant, um, mentioned earlier on in terms of incentive structures. Um, so how can users be incentivized to consume content, but then also gain the ability to consume more content over time, whether it be from one particular creator that you're working with um, or new creators in uh, our particular ecosystem? Um, so what we did was created access and what we enable is creators to create content pools. Um, so in a content pool, they can essentially create a servicing or an offering. And when users lock our native ACS token in that content pool, uh, those users obviously unlock the, the service that that creator offers. But there's a few other elements to this. So in the content pool, a creator sets a minimum ACS locking threshold. Uh, so you could say, for simplicity's sake, uh, you're creating a simple business-to-consumer subscription, 100 ACS to uh, unlock this content. 
uh, a user can lock that and essentially leave after a day, or they can stay there for as long as they, they want. Uh, there aren't any time horizons, restrictions. You don't have to do anything. You can just set it and forget it. Um, so what also happens when you enter the pool is there is an inflation parameter in the protocol. Uh, and when a user locks their ACS tokens in a particular pool, both the user and the creator split the inflation reward 50-50, proportional to the amount that uh, they have locked in that pool. So this does a few things. Uh, this incentivizes users to make sure that they are locking their tokens in a creator pool. You aren't speculating on this asset. Um, you need to make sure that you're consuming content or else you're risking dilution in the protocol. Um, on the creator side, uh, this ultimately gives your users the ability to consume more content over time. So how do you create new incentive structures where the user isn't just staking at the minimum threshold, but actually over time they're increasing their average stake um, because there's other incentive structures and value propositions. So that's kind of where additional ideas like NFTs, uh, events, you mentioned video, um, and other community aspects uh, that really strengthen the relationship between creators and consumers comes into play. So uh, that touches on uh, average revenue per user. So how do you get them to consume more than the minimum? And that is one of the inherent flaws of subscriptions today is once you create a price on your subscription, you are anchored to that price, $10.99 a month. That user is only going to ever spend $10.99 a month. They're never going to call you up and say, uh, Miguel, I love your product. Uh, I typically pay $10.99, but you know what? This month, I want to give you $15.99. Um, so this is kind of the, the two angles that we're trying to approach with access. Yeah, a couple of questions. Uh, firstly, um, of course, many of the creators that, and firstly on the, on the side of the, of the creators and publishers, most of the creators that you are uh, kind of trying to convert to access were kind of used to a model where their metric was, okay, I have these X subscribers paying me uh, Y for month, and in the end, I can generate revenues of whatever. How, uh, how, that, how does this model compare in terms of, uh, because I know, I know that you're not necessarily trying to replace the current models. This is kind of can work as a, a complement model where companies can have like an extra revenue stream to monetize their content but when they are comparing how does for example a subscriber that they would would have in web 2 that pays five dollars per month compares in, and, I, and i'm discussing this in terms of incentives like how does it compare to a, a, a subscriber or a user that kind of uh, staked uh, five uh, acs from the acs token on uh, on the platform and then as access instead of just the, those five dollars giving access for a month they can give access for a lifetime if if they wish yeah so the important thing on the access for a lifetime thing is uh even though you entered a pool maybe three years ago it's important to note that every single day you're generating the inflation reward for the creator so every single day you are a revenue opportunity um, for that creator. Uh, in terms of how creators should be like uh, kind of evaluating this ecosystem and how it works in terms of understanding revenue uh, comparisons is you want to essentially do two things. You want to increase your pool size on a user basis 
Um, but most importantly, you want to increase your pool size in our native token basis, ACS. Um, so the more tokens that you have locked in your pool, uh, then ultimately the more revenue that you're going to be getting on a daily basis. So when you then tie that into a notional dollar amount, uh, you can essentially derive uh, what your monthly payments would look like if you aggregated the dailies into a 30-day period. Uh, you could then derive every single uh, reward that you're getting on a daily basis and compare that to what you're getting on subscriptions. Obviously, there's some variability in terms of the reward rate, uh, and there's also variability on the price of the token. Um, so there are some complexities, especially for a, a early project. But at maturity, those things will be something that would be kind of less volatile and much more easier for creators uh, to kind of derive and understand what their long-term projections on revenue are. Yeah, that would be my, my next question is uh, in terms of your platform and in terms of access, how, because this sometimes can be for the company, for people that are kind of used to a traditional way of how a, a, a media company makes money, how does actually access provides or creates some income for itself? I mean, you guys have the platform, you gave or you give these opportunities to either creators to monetize their content or to users to consume it in a new way. But in terms of platform, how is kind of the way that you generate income for yourselves? Yeah. So the way that we look at generating income in the medium to long term is the value add products and services that we build on top of our platform. Um, so most actually just yesterday, for example, we just did our first NFT drop with an artist and essentially that artist is just experimenting with the protocol and basically said the uh, number of users in my pool, however many they are, I believe it was 345 that had entered his pool in uh, two weeks time. Uh, he basically did four different NFT drops that were kind of gamified. So uh, every single user received one NFT and then uh, moving on towards the fourth, the odds and likelihood of you getting the next step up uh, became less likely. So eventually that goes up to the fourth step where there's only a one of one NFT that goes out to a bunch of users uh, or one user, sorry. Um, so monetizing via that NFT distribution is something that is going to be an incredibly important revenue driver for us. Uh, we did this one for free and are still kind of integrating this into the platform, um, but see this as becoming a pretty important and valuable tool for especially publications to be able to, out of the box from one platform, not only manage their subscriptions and uh, understand who's subscribing, but then also deploy all of these value add services on top of it. So whether it is just an NFT for art or an NFT for an event pass, um, being able to deploy those effectively in an all-in-one platform is pretty important. And we think that we uh, kind of have the staying power and the top of funnel for all of these creators to deploy these services and be competitive with other NFT providers and deployers for publications. So that's one element of it. Um, there are a few other ideas in the motion here. And one of the big ones is advertising. Um, so we touched on cookies that are disappearing and targeted advertising uh, really going away. And one of the biggest issues for publications and their clients on the advertising side is if you don't have targeted advertisement, uh, you're essentially playing a spray and play game where you are advertising a service and likely only a small subset of the audience that is seeing your advertisement is a likely buyer. Um, so in our ecosystem, we right now have six publications uh, that are on board. 
And as we kind of integrate more, we bring in more users and they all are consuming content via the same token standard. And as you bring in more publications, you can start looking at the profiles of users and uh, they might be anonymous, um, but you can start looking at their profiles and understand the composition of the content that they like to uh, read, uh, how much they weigh the value of a particular content by understanding how much ACS they have locked in that pool. So you can start getting and deriving uh, their interests. And from there, you can really create an advertising network based on the preferences of users. And basically by just inserting uh, a quick line of JavaScript, you can directly target specific users based on parameters. Um, so in the long run, that is where we see uh, the largest opportunity is uh, basically blockchain enabled uh, direct targeted advertising. We, you were talking about users and I wanted to kind of compare the journey that a normal consumer of media does in the Web2 world and now in a platform like Access. What are kind of the steps? Because, of course, in the, in the beginning, it's normal that you're kind of targeting and trying to convert already current Web3 users that are completely used to having uh, a wallet and to log, log to different platforms to the wallet that they already have. What is kind of the journey that uh, those users have to do in order to consume content uh, in Access? And do you have in your plans any way of trying to uh, convert the, norm the normal media consumption users either in the form of text, video, whatever? And how are you thinking of bringing them into the Access platform? Yeah, great question. So this is important. I think this probably will come up in every Web3 conversation you're having is just about UX and how do you bring uh, non-crypto users into the space. And uh, MoonPay often says this is a product needs to pass a grandma test where a grandma is able to pull this product up and convert yeah. as a user without asking any questions before it is a mainstream product. Um, I would say that like, 99% of companies in this space aren't there yet, but there are a lot of things that we're doing to get there. Um, so as it stands right now, you do have to find our native token via an exchange, but in a couple of weeks, we are going to be announcing a fiat on-ramp provider. Um, and what is important about that fiat on-ramp provider is our protocol enables us to meet uh, consumers where they read their content. So we integrate directly onto publications websites. Uh, so if you don't have our native token, you are able to directly on that website, uh, on ramp into the ecosystem with your credit card. Uh, and once you're in the ecosystem, it directly moves, goes into your wallet. Uh, now wallets are the other part is what happens if you don't have a wallet. Um, there are awesome companies out there that are really abstracting away all of the things like seed phrases that people don't even understand what they are when they're signing up wallets. Um, so how do you do that? Taurus is a great example of a company that has really made the flow of creating a wallet great. You just sign up with your email, no different than signing up with any other account. Um, so that on-ramp process is slowly going to abstract away all of the kind of complexities that we may be used to as users, but grandma at home has no idea what's going on. Um, so ultimately, we see the onboarding uh, experience really important. And as we abstract away small pieces, just a small fraction of a improvement uh, equals thousands of conversions. So uh, again, the fiat on-ramp experience directly on-site and creation of a wallet directly on-site is the most important feature of the protocol. 
And over time, we are seeing a lot of great companies that are creating new solutions to kind of help enable that. So uh, that is one of our biggest priorities right now, especially as we look to work with publications that don't have direct crypto audiences. And um, moving a little bit into um, the creator side, um, and I know that right now you're kind of focusing in uh, written uh, content, right? It's the, the first step that, that you were going to. For... Um, For creators that are kind of used, and I, I'm thinking of creators that are used to produce content either um, through a newsletter or something, or something, and they are used to monetize it in a Web2 way, let's call it that. So you have like these ex-subscribers on Patreon or a paid subscription of, on Substack, and you are used to, okay, I know that I have these people following me. I know that I have this number of people that uh, pay me an amount every month. How do you believe that them producing content to be placed within Access compares to the usual way that they have to monetize their content? Because suddenly you know that you have uh, within Access, you, know, you have these users that lock a certain amount, but you know that you will not necessarily uh, have each period more money coming from them. So how do you manage the expectations in what publishers and creators, uh, the value that they can extract from the platform? Yeah, so one of the biggest things is in our ecosystem, every single user in the ecosystem is a prospective user of every creator. And what I mean by that is, as I mentioned, over time, they are gaining the ability to consume more content. All of these creators use the same token standard to monetize their content. So by entering the ecosystem, you're getting yourself in front of an existing set of users and consumers that are already familiar with this onboarding process. Um, so like the artist, for example, I mentioned, um, this artist specifically uh, had onboarded after we launched. And when we announced that he'd onboarded, he immediately, within a few days, had already pulled uh, several hundred subscribers. And after two weeks, 345 subscribers. Um, so it really shows the ability where all these people want to find and consume content in this format. Um, and you just have to create a compelling offering that uh, makes these users feel like they're getting value out of it. Uh, it's also about making sure that we're creating services that for creators that are very familiar to what they have in Web2. Uh, so things that we have on our side is we allow users to integrate their emails into their profiles. So uh, CoinGecko is one of our uh, creators, and they basically provide a uh, biweekly research newsletter. And the way they do that is they collect all the emails of the people in their pool and they uh, directly export that into their email distribution list and send those emails out. So it's a very familiar format that uh, really didn't take any tech lift on their side, um, but really enabled them to still develop these relationships. So uh, making sure that we're creating a similar service and offering that they're used to experiencing uh, in their Web2 formats as well is really important on our side. There was something that I, I forgot to ask you, which is where on the user side, when I'm using the platform, uh, once I'm locked to a, a group of creators, when I, enter the when I enter the platform, will their content appear within a feed? I receive a notification. I, as you mentioned, there can be a sort of API of access. I consume already within their channel, but I have like already an access API or feature within 
their channel, so I don't necessarily need to go to the the access protocol um, platform. What are kind of the different uh, ways in terms of my experience that I get in contact with access? Yeah, that's a great question. So as it stands right now, we just have our access publisher plat, uh, product live. So that is what we integrate directly onto websites. So we do link users out to the content pages that the creators are hosting their uh, access gated content on. So they do have to consume that content directly on a website. Um, but one thing that was interesting that we learned was uh, essentially creators are very productive of their content that they create. They don't want to disseminate it on other platforms because it doesn't allow users to generate page views. Uh, ad impressions, and it also increases the risk of that uh, content kind of getting disseminated and distributed in other channels. Um, so we asked these creators, do you feel comfortable in the long run where you are basically by RSS feed distributing your content into a uniform feed on our website so that we have a central hub of content consumption? Uh, and all of them said yes, because they are confident in the security of uh, the platform. They're confident that users aren't sharing emails or their private keys. Um, so they just feel that they are and can validate that every user is driving value to them. And any eyeball on their site is actually a subscriber or on our site is an actual subscriber. Um, so that is something that we'll plan on doing in the long run. But for now, in terms of content hosting, we do have an independent content creator platform that's coming out. And it would be similar to something that you're familiar with on like Medium, Substack, um, or if you prefer like Web3 platforms similar to Mirror. You, you have been closing a bunch of partner partnerships and there are a lot of companies that you are already working with. What are kind of uh, the names that you already have in the platform and what can we expect from Access in terms of uh, development, uh, new content formats uh, in, in the coming months? Yeah, so for our existing partners, uh, I mentioned CoinGecko. They are a very large data provider uh, and service provider for the crypto space, uh, perhaps the homepage of crypto. Um, so they're by far our largest partner, especially in terms of monthly active users. Uh, then we do have the block that has integrated this as their only uh, platform for content uh, monetization. Uh, on top of that, we have CryptoSlate. Their offering is coming out, CryptoSlate Edge, exclusively via Access uh, in about a month or so. Uh, over in Japan, we have Crypto Times, which is a great news and research website. Um, and their product comes out also in about a month or so, and it's a research-based product. Um, on the independent side, on our Scribe platform, we have Woo Blockchain, which is a very large Asia-based um, news reporter. Um, so great platform there. And then also AB Media, uh, which is similar in the vein of Crypto Times, Woo Blockchain, in terms of just general crypto coverage. Uh, I mentioned we also have an artist that's just kind of gamifying uh, their pool and distributing NFTs to all of the subscribers. It's really fun. I recommend you check him out. Um, it's Peach Quintana. Um, or we call it the peach pool. So it, it's a fun one. Um, in terms of new products, we have what I've just mentioned, Access Scribe, which will in its initial form be a independent publishing platform, but also diving into the multimedia side of things. So uh, we're excited to share some more details in terms of how we're integrating video into this uh, and allowing for uh, uploading of valuable video content or streaming, uh, which we think is like a really important angle to capture just all types of creators as opposed to just written ones. Um, so that's one element that like we're incredibly excited about. So that's kind of the early days. And ultimately, we are a product-driven company. So we're going to be taking feedback from users, creators, uh, and kind of iterating on all of the products that we build from there. 
final question. Uh, I know, of course, you guys are really Web3 focused in terms of content creation, but in the future, are you planning, or and, and uh, I know that this is kind of medium to long term, but is your expectation to kind of uh, in the future have all sorts of uh, content topics, not only like Web3 focused, but you can have like politics in the platform, you can have sports, you can have culture, uh, like about TV shows or, uh, uh, or movies, like is your expectation to that or do you want to kind of uh, remain within the Web3 uh, space? Yeah, so we absolutely want to go out there. I think it's important to find the right partner in the early days because uh, obviously sometimes the onboarding can be a little bit clunky and the crypto users are low hanging fruit. But in the long term, we need to diversify. Uh, I would tell you like the inbounds that we have are fascinating. We have like a farm to table restaurant that wants to do this, uh, a technology blog, a blog about gold. Um, random types of uh, YouTubers, um, cooking channels, things like that. We have uh, a pretty large list of about 5,000 creators that have in, uh, come inbound to basically use this monetization. So um, absolutely, that is the goal. And also the goal is to integrate into these large mainstream publishers. And to that note, I would say all of these platforms and companies um, that everyone is familiar with is evaluating Web3 and they are looking for the right move to make into the space and evaluating how they can kind of make some noise. So, uh, of course, we're having conversations with those large companies as well and finding ways that we can kind of help them in terms of uh, their next steps in media monetization. So um, we're excited about that and uh, excited to see the progress or the platform develop both from the user angle, but also the creator angle. Andreas, it was really great, really great to, to have you here and to speak Thanks, for, for a couple of minutes. Guys, thank you very much for listening to this episode. Don't forget to hear it either on YouTube or on Spotify. And please follow us either on Twitter and TikTok. And don't forget to check the Knights website to see their future events. Once again, thank you very much and good D-Night.